Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Aaron and Matthew Miller. Tonight, we are going to cross the line yet again. We must push the envelope. We must uncover every rock. We must ascend to every crag. We've got to get to the bottom of the fallen. There is no mistaking it. This is biblical fact. The angels did fall. They did so repeatedly. There is at least a first and second incursion, and you can take this to the bank. The book of Revelation loudly declares this. They are coming. Third time is a charm. For this particular episode, we need to come to grips with Mundus Novus, the New World. We need to come to grips with the Americas, with the simple fact that it's all over Revelation, about one-third of the trees, one-third of the green grass. And you can take this to the bank. You can look it up in any geology book. If you take a globe and spin it around so that you can only see the Americas, yes, you can do the calculations. It's one-third of the planet. We know that what took care of this at some point in the past was the Kichelub impact crater, which I have always firmly believed God used to kick us off our axis during the flood. This being the case, there is more than one instance of there being tales of the ancient Hebrews in the Americas. Uh, most notably, the Los Lunas Decalogue Stone. You have the Newark Holy Stones. You have the Bat Creek inscriptions. There is no denying this. It is absurd to think that people in the late 1800s knew Hebrew to even write those inscriptions. You're talking about the era of the KJV only. Well, not only that, this is Paleo-Hebrew we're talking about. And this is absurd. Let me be forthright with you. At that point in time, in the 1800s, you actually think that American farmers could transcribe on stone Paleo-Hebrew. That's a joke. That's a lie. So we have this these repeated instances. And not only this, we also have the, well, the tale of the red-haired giants from myth. Aaron, look, we're not sweeping this under the rug. Do you understand me? Yeah. We are going to tackle this topic. What about the New World? Why did they even come here? This is the real question. Yeah. So we, the, a big thing to know about uh, the Native Americans, if you are not, or if you don't live around those sorts of people, their history is um, pretty vague. Um, They tried to keep it in uh, through the, their winter, they would count winters and they would try to describe them. I've I've actually... I've actually been to the Heritage Center in North Dakota where it was they had a uh, they they had a uh, an artifact that was a an animal skin that they were they they would draw their they would draw a little picture for each winter of things that would happen. Um sometime I should go look at one I remember one that stood out the most to me is that one they show a shooting they show a shooting star on it or a star falling. 
which uh, I think I should probably look at later. But um, their his they they were not very civilized because they were mostly driven by hunting and they would migrate. They're very nomadic. They would migrate um, uh, during winter and would uh, move around. And uh, basically, it was all just survival. It was pretty simple. They um, they never got anywhere close to an organized civilization till the Incas and the Aztecs. <laughs> You're we're gonna blow your mind once we get there. But um, first, we got to figure out who are they. Can we connect these Indian people or the Native Americans to the Bible? Who are their ancestors? Well. This is a real question, okay? This is this is always the question. You don't have to like it. The event horizon was the flood. So I've only got one question for you. All the listeners that's ever going to listen to this only has one question that they want answered. Was it Ham? Was it Shem? Or was it Japheth? That's the real question. Mm-hmm. So start right there. Okay, so... um. Genetic and linguistic evidence points to the Yenisean people of Siberia to be the ancestors of the Native Americans. And something interesting about Siberia is that it has a river called the Tobol. And they say that these people originally came from the, the midst of the Sayan Mountains. Um, it's uh, the alternative name of, this mount, of these mountains is the Cogman. And if you've ever read the Book of the Giants, it's these mountains are mentioned. And it says there is a city there in that region of Yenisean Mountains called the Tuva. And so both Tuva and Tobal indicate to me that the Yeniseans are descended from Tubal, the son of Japheth. Genesis chapter 10, verse 2. So this is what the KJV people call Japheth, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, and then another point here is the Scythians. The Scythians also lived in Siberia. They were nomadic people. And uh, Josephus points out that these people were from Magog, who was also a son of Japheth. And um, the Irish Book of Invasions, uh, it's a, uh, a chronicle, it indicates that the Celts were also descended from Magog. So um, we have basically the sons of Japheth, they pretty much just traveled north, um, and they started settling. Okay? And Scotland, okay, so uh, the, the, the Celts, there are very different, various different tribes of Celts. The ones that came to Britain were called the Britons. There were, there were also Celts. And they, we can tell a little bit about where they came from, because in Scotland, there is an Albany, and they also called their land in, in, uh, Britain, they called it Albion. And uh, this takes a pretty interesting history to try to figure out what happened. And the deaths, grants, grants, scans, it, I, I'm really bad at uh, pronouncing, you know, European languages, but um, it, it's, a, it's a chronicle, um, and it, says, it records how the king of Greece or Javan, who was also son of Japheth, married 30 daughters to royalty, but they wanted to murder their husbands to obtain power. Their plan was discovered, and they were banished to the island of Britain. They named it after their eldest sister, Albina. They cohabited with the incubi of the land, the fallen angels who lived there and begat giants, including one named Gogmagog, or Gog of Magog. So, I disagree with their with them saying that they come from Greece. I think there's there's more evidence pointing they come from Magog, the Celts. The these these uh, these people they came there, and they set up a center to make the giants. Okay, so what what we were talking about in other shows is that even though we believe that the house of Repha survived the flood, they had to. Um, revive the bloodline through a second incursion because of the Ten Commandments. We go back to this again. The Ten Commandments plainly states the fourth generation being the termination point 
for that corrupted seed. Yeah, it says, to the third and the fourth generation, I, I will punish the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Right. And those are his, his exact wordings. It, 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 especially in context, if you take it in context, it's talking about I, uh, worshiping other gods. These beings would call themselves gods and deify themselves. Well, and, and we talked about that a little bit on the last show, too. Let the listener understand. What the angels had done was create a symbiotic being with humans. Let's be very clear. Hebrews, well, the New Testament period, okay? The New Testament period states this, that humans are three things. We are spirit, soul, and body. However you want to put it, however you want to word it, we are three things. However, the angelic only has two. Psalm 104, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7 makes it perfectly pl plain that their summa, their body, is flame. It's fire. You put two and two and two together, you realize that they are missing one of our elements. Yes. And that we, it says, in my translation of Psalm 104 verse 4, it says, He makes his angels out of spirits, and he makes his ministers from a flaming fire. So this, we actually did a hardcore conversation about this, or what they are, mm -hmm. what angels are. So most, they are, when we say a flaming fire, it seems to indicate a chemical reaction going on. Mm -hmm. That flaming, if you use that flaming, you're basically talking about a reaction that's going on. You're talking you. about, yes, you're talking about, at its base, a chemical reaction. So to us, we believe that they are just a spirit within matter. They have a spirit and they have matter. The matter, they can combine into any a form of element they want through the manner of fusion. And, um, but I actually stated it, um, that they are actually a more simple life form than we are. Because all they are is just, I mean, we, we are made up of millions of different form, kinds of molecules in our bodies. And, and different atoms, and all they are is basically atoms. So, okay, we've got to let the rubber hit the road again. We've got to be perfectly clear so that the listener can understand. So, let's go to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, the King James Version. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, number one, soul, number two, and body, number three, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it plainly states that we humans have a, well, it's very apropos to say that we have basically a trinity within us. We have a spirit, which is G4151, and that is Numa. It means air. It means wind. And a number two, it says soul. That is psyche. And it means, it's psyche. And it basically is your inner being. But in literally, it refers to inspiration. Not While well, spirit means the breath within you, the psyche, the soul, means the process of breathing. Which means, how do we do that? Through our brain function. Through our brain function, that's correct. Through, in in essence, our voluntary and involuntary brain function. And let's go ahead and mention number three first, because it ties into it. Number three is G4983, Soma. It's body. It is the flesh. Something that's that, that's really important. Uh, many of you Christians may very be very well acquainted with what Ephesians chapter six says. They are not flesh and, and blood. blood. They're and 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 that and what is in the blood. 
the blood, I mean, many translations will say life is in the blood, but literally it says the soul is in the blood. And you've explained this to me um, throughout my entire life as the blood cell is basically just, it has no nucleus. It, it is a toroidal ring. Yeah. It has and no it, nucleus. And it, and it has oxygen. It carries oxygen in the center of it. In that toroidal ring, that wave, this is where the life is. Well, where the soul is, the the right, inner right, right, right. the inner being of who you are, manifested. I I once interpreted it as basically the unity of flesh and spirit. But we're talking about that these angels may not even have that. Well, they're but, far more simple. <laughs> Boy, isn't that a way to put it? Um, that is a good way to put it. In the simple fact that they have two things instead of three. But it is the third thing that creates all the restrictions for us. Right? Yeah. So, yes, I guess more simplistic, but simplicity without restrictions. So, this... Well, I, I, when, I, when, I say, when I say a simple life form, I don't, I don't mean anything to refer to their functionality, but the way what God created them from. God didn't make individual cells for them. Right. They were just elements and a spirit. But we are far, far more complex than that. Right. We have we, cells. We have genes inside the cells. We have things that go on within the cells. All those things. So angels, in a sense, are a simple life form, even though they may not be, you know, like simple as in stupid. They're not. But on a uh, anatomically. They are simple. With this being stated, we have to remember that going back to the body, this mechanism, our brain, is ran two ways. There is conscious thought, which really doesn't keep you alive a whole lot. It is the subconscious thought, all right? The involuntary thought that really keeps you alive, you don't have to think to breathe, or you die the first time you slept, right? Right. You don't tell your heart to beat, or you'd be dead as a hammer, because that's all you think about was, okay, beat, 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 beat. Okay, let's think it some more. Beat, 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 beat. So you do nothing but sit around and, and think your heart to beat, correct? Correct. So, this being the case, this is a very wondrous mechanism we have going on but what they did was create a symbiotic being between them and us literally you said that our life is in the blood correct sure. this was literally fire infused flesh we don't we can't even we can't really wrap our minds around what these giants were. Yeah, we, we know this much. The, the aliens had, sorry, the angels had to polymorph their body. They had to poly, that's what Enoch uses to describe. They had to transform their body, which was fire, into our, something that could genetically cohabit with humans. By like I've explained before, why can't a dog have a child with a pig? Because because the the the, the genes you have to have the, an equal number of genes by which you can share and um, line them up. So the the angels would have to polymorph their DNA in order to fit up with ours. And this is also how they were able to create the earthly beast okay and, and let me explain that Aaron we do know that there are beasts in heaven correct there's no other real way to put it that there are these uh, man, magnificent cherubim alright the only way you can describe that in human terms is a chimera so we can describe it we also have these beings known as the seraphim the only way to describe a six wing type of it's a chimera. This is how they were also able to produce these things on the earth, trying to create 
with, with, well, let's just come right out and say it. Dinosaurs. You can plainly look at a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You can plainly compare a skeleton to a, a kangaroo and that of an alligator, and that's what you've got right in the middle. It is a Tyrannosaurus Rex. We have this all over, well, you can call it myth if you want to, history. The Septuagint has it impregnated into the text. You cannot deny it. It is there. The Bible does say there was chimeras. It's there. So, um, but even when we got way, 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 way off the topic from where I was talking about, okay, so they had to make a second incursion to make the House of Repha survive. And where was the capital of the second incursion? Sodom and Gomorrah beyond any shadow of a Yeah, and if, to all of you who don't know, the word for Gomorrah in Hebrew is Amorah, where we get Amorite from. The This is the capital of where, where the angels went to do what they, to produce, literally to bring the bloodline back. This is how the Anakim were able to survive for so long. Why they they why David was able to meet giants face to face was because they were doing this for a while. So we know the capital of Anax, um, part of second incursion was going on there. But what if the one for Japheth was going on in Britain? Going on in this Albion, which is which I just described. They said these women went there, and they were cohabiting with the the oh, what they called incubi. Basically, is the uh, concept of a fallen angel who has children with a human, and they bear what giants, most specifically Gog. And we're talking about um, and so so um, in the Sublime Oracles. Uh, book three, it talks about how um, Uranus, who we, we would interpret as uh, the survivor or Cush, he divided his kingdom in, in, for each of his three sons. We've mentioned this in the former broadcast that Kronos would be um, the tyrant or Bel. And his brother, Titan, who wars against him, is Anak. But the other one, Yepidus, we don't we're not really told much about him. This is insanely clear that the word Yepidus in Greek is Japheth from Hebrew. They, they've just transcribed it into Greek. That's, that's without a shadow of doubt. But I always interpreted that this giant was Gog, whoever he is. And we have in Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel 38.3, it says, <clears throat> and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So I told... So, so here, Gog is clearly ruling over multiple kingdoms of Japheth. Meshach was also a brother of uh, Tubal. They were all sons of Japheth. And clear, clearly, um, I mean, you can just... I mean, there are people who come up against this concept, but if you really study the uh, genealogies of things going on in Europe, Rosh has got to be where the Russians come from. The, the, the they called them the Rus, uh, the uh, Kievan Rus, um, and Meshach is where the Slavs came from. You can see the 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 in the word Moscow, and of course Tubal, which I explained is mostly the people who inhabited Siberia. But we also are indicated through the works of Josephus and many other historians, that Scythia, or Magog, was also smack dab in the middle of there. And whenever you see in the Bible Gog and Magog, it's not saying two different places. They're not two places. Gog was a giant. It says Gog and his kingdom, Magog. Magog was, of course, Scythia. So, we have this going on with these um, this giant ruling over Europe, where are all the people of Japheth. So, what happened to these Native Americans 
why did they come to the Americas? And this is this is this is something that really stands out to me. What's crazy about the Eskimos? Why would you voluntarily live there? Why would you voluntarily want to build a house out of ice when you can just go south and find a warmer place? I mean, do you do you ever just wonder why why did they allow them decide to just stay there? I mean, you but the um a lot of people will say that it was because they were landlocked for the longest time through giant glaciers. But I wonder if something very different was going on. What if Okay, so I actually came to this conclusion when I was reading about Inuit mythology. Of course, um, there is a, a place where Siberia and um, North America meet called basically Bering Strait. Um, the Bering Strait runs right through them. You just um, row across them. We don't know how – I mean the, the earth – we don't know how far the continents had – the continents had separated by the time that they that the uh, Native Americans fled there, but yeah, they they moved over into Alaska from the Siberia from Siberia, and they were living there. But the Inuits, which are people who still live there today, more better known as the Eskimos, they um they describe their religion as not belief but fear. You look into their mythology. There's basically just monsters in the waters, you know, um, basically they have this concept of a giant cyclops in the water who's coming basically threatening and they, they would worship it, of course, out of fear. And so in their um, history, they said that there was a people called the Tin, the Tunit, or uh, singular, it's Tinuk, and they are, they were, they described them as giants, enemies of the Inuits. And I um, reached another possible connection with the Tanais. It was a place in Russia, what was now Russia, where there was, where the Scythians were living, basically Magog. And this and we see the similarities be- between the Tanais and the uh, Tunit, which I believe this is why they were calling them that. They were coming... Let's get down to what I'm really trying to say. The Native Americans came to America out of fear. So, you mentioned this earlier. You said that they fled here. No one's ever stayed yeah, everyone's ever stated, stated that they were they were hunting and, that's, and they just made it here because they were hunting. But, I mean, what if they decided to live in a horrible frozen climate and make ice houses because that's safer than being over in Siberia? Why would that be, son? Well, we see this. Gog was trying to rule over all the Japhethites. Why would he do this? Be- well, we see this, like I like I mentioned before. Anak was given the Shemites. Uh, no, he was given the Hamites. And uh, and then Halel, or the tyrant, was given the Shemites. And then, of course, Gog was given the Japhethites. But remember, people, a nation in the Bible, when you see nation, that's not necessarily referring to a place. It's referring to a people. It's referring to a people. Ethnicity, if you actually go to the Greek, the word for nation is ethnos. Every time your Bible will say either nation or Gentile, it's ethnos. There are other ethnicities, and this is what he was after. He was after a bloodline, not a place. You mean, you've done turned this whole thing right on top of its own head. What you're saying is, is that the giant was chasing his human family. He was chasing his human ancestry. Yeah, so he could rule over them. And we have, of course, I mean, once they're living over, 
the the Eskimos are living over there in that frozen tundra, these giants start coming anyway. They gotta flee again, and they go south. They're known as the Clovis people, they because they can see that they they were literally um, trying to trek the mountains of the Rocky Mountains down across the Americas, and um, these giants, well. We have the Aztecs telling us all about this. And they called the giants the Quin Ametsin. They say that these giants uh, stood more than 10 to 12 feet tall, and they even give weights to them. And they say that they constructed the Pyramid of Kalula, but most specifically, Teotihuacan. Okay, or the place where men became gods. And they have the names of the giants who built these kingdoms. And it's just crazy how, how they have... It's almost as if... And if you go there, that city, Tihakan, is the center of the feathered serpent worship. This is where... Okay, so... As I said, all all of the Native Americans were gather hunters until you came to Mesoamerica or the middle of the Americas. We have the Incans and the Aztecs, and where and we have this city right there. These people have mathematics, ast astronomy, and all of that. Where did they get it? Well, they were sitting on the city of the giants. These giants came there to rule over them. And they, of course, brought the worship of the feathered serpent, the representation of, this, of the planet Venus or the uh, morning and evening star. They were worshiping Azazel, and they brought that worship there. We also have evidence of this in um, the Amer what's known as the American Stonehenge. They have basically this insanely elaborate stone structure and they have there an inscription that says dedicated to Baal of the Canaanites and this now in, in what language? in Phoenician so literally this is telling you they came here to set this up not, not only the worship but the have these people serve them of course the, like they've always done they wanted them they wanted to be their gods. And the Sitaka, which were which are well known by the Paiute Indians, they were described as red haired giants with double um two rows of teeth. We have we have historical evidence that they found skeletons of these of these people near the 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 mound culture. <laughs> the, 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 these mounds these random mounds in the middle of nowhere. There's huge, massive amounts of dirt. And they find these skeletons there. These giants were coming here to rule over the people. So let me get this straight. You're saying that, for a better term, we're going to call this the sons of Japheth. They go by many names. They fled north. They go by Scythians. They go by American Indians, Inuits, Eskimos, basically Native American peoples. They actually fled here trying to escape the giants and did so to great effect. They kept fleeing, and they kept fleeing. As a matter of fact, the Native American Indians themselves, they were never permanent. Instead of calling them nomadic, they were they had perfected the only way to stay free and survive was to be in a state of ever fleeing, migrating. They literally moved month to month. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And what you seem to have here is that they stopped when they got to Mesoamerica and Gog hunted them down. These Anakim, 
came specifically to find these people because these people were their human blood relatives. Yeah, and, and don't you see the significance in the fact of the in the grotesque human sacrifice rituals they had, oh, which yeah. were mostly driven with blood. It was about oh, blood. Yeah. Oh yeah. That their their sun god Hootstil Pochtli, they would literally rip out the heart and they would smother their idol with the blood. So we're talking about a bl- the this was really significant to these entities, the blood. And they demanded human sacrifice. This doesn't this doesn't is it even rational for a human to even come up with the idea of human sacrifice? No. Would any human have ever even imagined it? Well, let's talk about the maternal instinct. Of course not. This tells me that it was never humans who came up with that idea. It was demanded by these monsters. You know, let's let's talk about this a little bit. So, these these Nephilim, we've talked about this several times over your, well, over your entire life, son. You've always wanted to know the next level. Of course, they were giant. And, of course, when you were a child, you used to ask me, well, how big did they get? How big did they get? And I would always tell you, well, this would be probably one of their problems. They didn't have limitations. You and I have a design. We have a blueprint. And when God puts it into our genetics, you're going to be five foot seven. Guess what? You're five foot seven, and that's what you are, period. You're never going to exceed that. They, however, having the article of the angelic inscribed into them, they didn't have these limitations. So it's kind of hard to describe what was going on, but why do you think they would have been chasing? their specific blood relatives to rule over them and not other groups of people. Oh, they were already ruling other groups of people. Say, say Gog and his family. I mean, say you're in a family of five. Your four older brothers, they all get to inherit the four biggest kingdoms of your family. But you don't have anything. Until you hear about these people... Across the sea in, you know, the Americas. So, of course, this giant would try to seek inheritance over in the other Americas. Wherever his blood relatives were. Yeah. So, this is what drove the Anakim into the Americas. You know, it's time for us to talk a little bit about this. Literally, these, these Nephilim would have been, well, like we stated the other day on a different program. These Nephilim were symbiotic organisms. Symbiosis is literally the next level of design. It's one up from a standard uh, 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 solo design, i.e. an organism that's designed to do its own thing. Symbiosis is a next level of design, like uh, before I mentioned uh, uh, the orchid mantis. Absolutely amazing. There's beyond any shadow of a doubt, this mantis was designed to take care of these orchids. There's no doubt about it. I mean, these praying mantises can even change color, all depending on what orchid they are, that they can become that color. So, this is what they were doing. So, it really does beg the question do you think there were other reasons why they wanted to track down their own blood relatives? Personally, no. I think that this is the most significant reason why they would, would be to obtain an inheritance of them. And they would do as they always did, demand worship. I mean, um, and and that's something really crazy. You can find that the Incas, who also lived in the same area as the Aztecs, they had the concept of the one true God. The Inuits had the concept of the one true God. They called the one true God Sila, or Ella, basically, where we, pretty close to the Hebrew word El, they would call him God. 
but this is where sh this is my opinion the the concept of animism and shamanism the concept of spirits and everything comes from the concept that the spirit of god is still moving over the surface of the waters that god can be reached through nature within which the spirit of life that's he he's called the spirit of life sometimes within nature perhaps this is how they were able to talk to god was through nature which is very possible um but this ended up being um degrading over time of course to the concept of other spirits and all of that but we have evidence that they once believed that the one spirit was in everything and that just just diluted over time and then when we go with uh vera kocha when you read it it's insane how much this describes not only god the father but god the son we um Vera Kocha, they called him, and um, he was one of the most important deities in the Inca pantheon and was seen as the creator of all things, or the substance from which all things were created. He created the universe, the sun, moon, stars, time, by commanding the sun to move over the sky, civilization itself. He was worshipped as the god of sun and storms. He was represented as wearing the sun for a crown and thunderbolts in his hand, tears descending from his eyes as rain. So, um, and then more, this, this is going to blow your mind. He made mankind by breathing into stones, but his first creation were brainless giants who displeased him. So he destroyed it with a flood and made a new, better one with smaller stones. Viracocha eventually disappeared across the Pacific Ocean by walking on the water, and he never returned. He wandered the earth disguised as a beggar, teaching the new creations the basics of civilization, as well as working numerous miracles. He wept when he saw the plight of creatures he had created. It was thought that Viracocha would reappear in times of trouble. He was described as a man of medium height, white, and dressed with a white robe, like an alb secured around his waist, and he carried a staff and a book in his hands. I'm sorry, guys. He just described Jesus. <laughs> he just described Jesus. Well, the others believe that it was it was uh, Jesus's brother, according to the flesh, Thomas. But whether or not you like it, they basically said that Viracocha, the creator God, was incarnated as a man. And he went around and started preaching to them. And do we have evidence of him being here with us in the Los Lunas, Decalogue Stone, and all the others? Is this, was this him coming and preaching to these people um they eventually for some reason i don't know why they they mixed him with quetzalcoatl the the feathered serpent i'm not sure how or why but he comes basically the same person if you were to study them both but he is begging the people trying to get them to stop human sacrifice well what else would jesus do if he came here so um yeah he the biggest thing that stands out to me is that the entire Americas are ruled by the concept of shamanism until you go to Mesoamerica. It's not shamanism anymore. It's not the concept of spirits in the, anywhere. What does this mean to me? To me, this means that it was this religion was influenced by giants. That was influenced by the concepts across the sea of the giants who were living in the old world. But yeah, I do believe that this is some crazy evidence that Jesus came here to to stop this this worship after the Anakim had been wiped out. Yeah, they had been stopped in their tracks for whatever reason, which we'll probably never know. Point being, these Anakim were hunting their own bloodlines to rule over them. Yep. So. This, boy, this is completely a new spin on everything. I mean, this gives a rhyme and reason to the North American tribes being nomadic, which they really had no reason to do. Yeah, their concept of 
nothing but survival kept them from becoming more advanced. Right. They just ran and kept running. And we have these, like you said, the tale of the Paiute, these red-haired giants, which takes you right back to where? Yeah. Britain. The redhead people. So, absolutely off the hook when you really think about this. And, and you know, when the rubber hits the road, it makes you wonder what these things could really do. And we talked about this earlier, this concept of the voice. Seems how they were blood relatives of these people. Could they literally command them and these people be compelled to do whatever they said? Yeah, what we're talking about once all Nephilim is, is all, all Nephilim are is just an angel with a psyche. And that just means that they have something in their blood. Something that humans have. So really, I mean, how powerful really is a soul? I mean, clearly demons and angels pull this off regularly, the the um uh telepathy. Right. Being able to, and uh, psychic connection, being able to manipulate people with their mind, how is that possible? Well, you know, I've often thought of it like this: that you know how. Well, let's look at our own dog, Kit. Uh, Kit Carson is a full-blooded German Shepherd, correct? Yeah. Very smart. You could say there is no smarter. I mean, what do all the militaries use? German Shepherd. What do all the police use? Yeah, German Shepherd. I mean, you're you're kind of dumb if you use anything else. When I tell you tell Kit to sit, he's compelled to do so. Correct? He does it. It's for for a better word. What we're talking about is is you're able to train animals. And the one thing that I have always thought is that somehow, if these things were in your bloodline. They would have this 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 thing that's referred to as the voice, much like a Stephen King used in the movie Firestarter. The Firestarter's dad had the ability to to speak, and people would literally be compelled to do whatever he said. The same exact thing is also used in the sci-fi series Dune. These these well, they called them Jesuit witches, I do believe. But they had this same thing. They could use this voice, and when they spoke this voice, you literally had to do whatever they said. You'd be compelled to do it. And it just makes you wonder, this concept is also directly keyed to the 144,000. They sing a new song that nobody else is, is able to learn. We don't know if they have their own language, or if maybe that's like 10 or 12 octaves, so we can't reach that level. You know, it's it's a different harmonic. They can sing a, you know, a well, specific some, tune. Something that you see very common among the Native Americans is that whenever there is the sun dance. The sun dance. They yeah. need. They would need a fire, and they would need drums, and they would need. They would kind of sing mm -hmm. when they they would mutter basic sounds. You you can hear this, um, and it's it's just. Really, that was that was how they would contact their deities, their spirits, was via they would get their all of their hearts in tune with the beat and then the tone. So th this really does beg the question if that's where this idea, this concept comes from in mythology, this the voice that somehow if they were a blood relative of yours. They could literally command you, and you'd be compelled to do whatever they said, much like a trained dog is compelled for whatever reason. We, we don't know, but one thing is for sure. This gives a rhyme and a reason to the term nomadic. When you turn this on its head and you realize that, oh my goodness, these people weren't nomadic in a nomadic sense. They were ever fleeing. They were fleeing the fallen. And there's just no doubt about it. We we just have too many instances of, well, these inscriptions. We have the serpent mounds. We have America's Stonehenge. 
It's just off the hook that they came here and there is evidence with particularly the finding of this uh, inscription, you know, to bail. I mean, just outright in your face. And then at that very site is higher mathematics involved, obviously laid out astronomically speaking. That would have come from the fall. Closing comments, Aaron. For those of you in America, that just make you makes you wonder, have you ever just looked at the place where you live and just wondered what happened here? A thousand years ago. Four thousand years ago. What happened here? There are secrets here that take a lot more decoding. Um, these people had a writing system way later than the than uh, the old world did. So the history is blurred, but it's there if you seek it. And also I want to point out the mercy of our Lord. That he, well, of course, Jesus knew that his disciples would, would not be able to make it here. I mean, of course, they were landlocked, trapped. Um, this is why the old world never even knew that there was another world out there. But, so Jesus came here. I think Jesus himself came here for the purpose of giving those people a chance to be saved. And there's a lot of power in that. Indeed, there is a lot of power in that. So, now is a rhyme and a reason as to how the Anakim made it to the Americas. You could literally call this the devil's playground. I've said that many times. Especially with the finding of all the dinosaur fossils here. They were trying to make... Well, that's what chimeras were, son. They were earthly, heavenly beasts. That's what they were doing. So... Off the hook, when you really think about this could have been the reason why they never settled down. They were just in a state of permanent fleeing the fallen. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed. Fringeradionetwork.com slash donate. We don't need your money to survive. We pay for the network with our own hard-earned cash. But if you want to help us grow and reach more people, just go to FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you a free network t-shirt. FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate.